0: We have been in an incredible series of messages about pioneers, right, living in Hebrews chapter 11 and learning about all of these who are um, fathers of the faith, so to speak, and uh, it's been really encouraging and and really uh, inspiring, and so I'm excited to be able to dive into God's Word. Today we will be in Hebrews chapter 11, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, don't worry. All the words are going up on the screen so that you can follow along. And um, if you're taking notes, uh, I'm calling this message, This Will Never Work. This Will Never Work. Have you ever, have you ever had anybody speak that in, into a situation or into your life? Or maybe you have spoken that into a moment. I remember when I was in high school, um, I was a super nerd. Um, nerd on levels that you can 't imagine, um, I wanted to be an Air Force fighter pilot, and so through my entire high school career, I did ROTC, which means i was the I was the dude who 's wearing a uniform to school that is um, yeah that 's next level type stuff and and uh, I remember when I was in uh, freshman in high school it was when the internet was invented, and so i 'm dating things a little bit but um, I found that you could download like the plans to build an airplane. And I got so pumped, right? I love, there's one laugh way out in the back and she was like, not gonna happen, bro. The message title is fitting. This will never work. And I remember going to my buddies and I was like, you guys, you guys, look what I found. I found the blueprints to build an airplane. Let's do this. And they literally on their backs, rolling, belly laughing, like, are you kidding me? Dude, that will never work. You can't build an airplane. Where are you going to fly it? I'm like, on the levee. Duh. If, you, if stuff goes sideways, just go in the river. And, and, I was, and I was like, you know, Kitty Hawk, they, they used a 12-horsepower engine. My lawnmower is 24 horses. Like, we got this. We can do this. And it got shut down. And I remember being so devastated. Like, oh, come on. Like, we can, we can make this happen. This will never work. That's what they said. To Eleanor Roosevelt. Okay, This is Theodore Roosevelt's niece, Uncle Teddy's niece, and uh, she was married to Franklin Roosevelt, who was the President of the United States at the time of the Great Depression. Here we have one of the most devastating moments in American history where economy had gloriously collapsed. And people were without jobs, people were without homes, And there was this general sense of just hopelessness that surrounded the United States. It was hard. Franklin Roosevelt came up with a set of policies that he called the New Deal policies. These were things that would hopefully stir up the economy and that would provide jobs and provide housing and, and help the nation recover from this incredible deficit that they had experienced. And everybody in Congress, everybody who saw what he was putting together said, what? this will never work, this will never work. you, you, You think that by initiating some policies that you could turn this thing around? You're crazy, man, it'll never work. But his wife, Eleanor, though she knew what was being spoken about the New Deal policies, what did she do? She decided to strap on her boots and get to work. And she started going into the communities, she started going into the cities, she started connecting with the people who were having the most difficulty, and she herself acted as a bridge between the people of the United States of America and the administration. So she would bring to her husband, man, this is re- we think we know what's going on? We don't know what's going on. This is what's really going on. Oh, we think we know what American asians We don't know what they need. This is what they really need. And what she ended up doing is she ended up bridging the gap between the two, and what happened? The policies saw success. Even when nobody thought it would work, she believed that it could. And so she put her weight into it and has gone down as becoming one of the most influential first ladies in United States history. Let's give it up for Eleanor Roosevelt. Like, come on girl, this is amazing. She pioneered an effort that would bring rescue to the United States. And and this morning, what we're gonna see is another lady, another wife, who stood behind, beside her husband and pioneered another work through a great difficulty. Who are we talking about? Well, last week, Pastor Levi gave us a message about Abraham, right? The father of faith. I loved what he said. He is the man. Like, if you go through Scripture, you, you, can't, you can't fit all the things that, that are said about Abraham into a message in, in a moment like this. Um, and so it, it's like, it's, just, it's amazing, right? And we have who? His wife, Sarah. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. This morning, we're gonna be talking about Sarah. We're gonna be talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife. So here is this 65-year-old woman who is married to this 75-year-old man who God miraculously called out of Ur, right? What did he say? What was it? Get out, get, get on out of there. You know, I'm calling you to a land uh, that I will show you, right? Without a promise. And, and so you have this man then you have his wife who is following alongside. So just a little background information on her, right? We know at the time that they're called, she is 65 years old. And according to Abraham, she is hot. She is smoking hot. That is how he thinks of his wife. It's a good thing. Genesis chapter 12, verse 11, it says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So husbands, I mean, this is, um, this is uh, Abraham just dropping science. On your next date night, just tell your wife, you know, I'm actually worried for my life. <laughs> Why? Because you're so dang beautiful. I think, I think they might kill me. People who see you might kill me, right? He thinks his wife is beautiful, amazing. I tell my wife all the time, I love it because it's 100% true. You know, we've been married for 16 years, my wife and I, 16 years. Love that. It's been, it has been a wild and beautiful ride. And I tell my wife all the time, I said, the thing is, I am more wildly attracted to you now than I ever have been in the previous 16 years of our marriage. You are absolutely beautiful. And so she's probably on the other side of this camera just blushing, but um, I don't care because I love you, and I think you're amazing. Um, That's how Abraham felt about his wife. 65 years old, and man, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Here's the thing, though. She, as she, from her own lips, she says, God has not opened my womb. So here is a woman who is incapable of having children. She was barren. She can't have kids. She didn't have the ability to. The only problem is when God called Abraham out of Ur into the land that he would show him, what did he say? He made a promise to him. He said that I will make a great nation from you. I'll make a great nation from you. Now in this moment, I I feel like my heart goes out to Sarah. Because what are all the things going on behind the scenes that we don't really get to see The thing is that we don't really get to read about, right? Here is God making this amazing, glorious promise to Abraham, knowing very well that his wife cannot have kids. Thoughts of maybe, I mean, I don't know. I try to put myself in her shoes and think, maybe I'm not included in that promise, I was talking to my wife about my study of this passage, and, and we're driving, and I was like, my heart just goes out for Sarah, because you don't realize the weight that she's carrying in this moment and how hard that could be. I literally started tearing up as I was telling her story about what, what was going on in this situation. You know, we we live in the age of the fear of missing out, largely appropriated by, you know, these suckers and and, and, and we have our phones, and with the advent of social media, it's amazing to see how depression has gone on the rise in conjunction with the front-facing camera on your phone, right? And now, we, 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 ignorance is bliss. We didn't know what was going on around us. Now, we know everything that's going on around us, and we can see exactly what we haven't been a part, invited to be a part of. And, and so here you have Sarah this great nation comes from you. She can't have kids. And I imagine how hard it would be to see everybody else around you flourishing, all these young families popping up and growing to, 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 to support your husband, to stand alongside him in that promise and, and to do what you can to support. Um, but then maybe thinking that you would be the one that would be holding back that promise. And just how hard that would be. Like, just how devastating that would feel. And so you have Sarah thinking to herself, maybe this will never work. So what does she do? She takes matters into her own hands, right? In in, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain a child by her. So she acknowledges, you know, okay, let's just, let's just call it as it is, okay? I, I have no, I've born no children. I have not given you uh, any children. I have not provided a legacy for you, and... Um, and she doesn't want to hold back the fulfillment of God's prom- promise. And so she takes matters into her own hands. Um, I know that traditionally that can be a messy situation. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever assembled Legos with your children. Um, it's like uh, you're putting things together and it's like, dude, no, we're not on bag three yet. We're on bag one still. And it's like, yeah, but these still fit together. And it's like, well, all Legos fit together. It doesn't mean they're supposed to be put together like that, you know. And, and things get a little, little tense, a little hard. What happens? Well, Abram, he takes Hagar. And in verse 4, it says, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That's Sarah, And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. you gave my ser- I gave you my servant to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the, Lord judge, may the Lord judge between you and me. What is this? Well, for the husbands in the house, this is the messy middle where you are trying to do whatever you can to help make things right, right? And it's like, hey, okay, I acknowledge this is a difficult thing and God's promised some things and, 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 and you have a suggestion. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just go with that and what? the whole thing explodes, and and now she's frustrated. But why is she frustrated? Well, one, because her servant is now looking down her nose at her. Like, oh, I guess this promise wasn't for you. I guess you weren't the one who was capable of doing it. What does that do to her heart? Man, that's daggers on daggers. And so she, in frustration, Abram's like, hey, look, she's your, she's your servant. You can do whatever you want. And so she casts her out. She's just, get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And she gets rid of Hagar. And it's beautiful because you see the love of God in that moment, how he actually meets Hagar. And he's like, hey, look, I want you to go back. And I want you to serve your mistress. And maybe with a, a little bit greater sense of humility. Because I have a plan for you. And, and God, taking a broken situation as he does so well and redeeming it in a beautiful way. And so he reconciles that moment. But what's going on here? Man, heartache. I've been hurt, right? What's the saying? Hurt people, hurt people. And so here we have Sarah who has been hurt. She's devastated. She rages on her husband, kicks out Hagar. God restores the relationship, but then the story turns in the most beautiful way. And you see as God now steps in and he intervenes. In Genesis chapter 17, God appears to Abraham in a dream. Now, it's kind of confusing because in in a lot of these passages, you have Abram and you have Sarai, right? All I've been reading is Abram and Sarai. But then we refer to Abraham and Sarah. And so in Genesis chapter 17, when the Lord appears to um, Abraham, he's like, hey, so here's the thing. Um, No, this has been hard, uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to change your name, okay? You will no longer be known as Abram. I'm changing your name to Abraham. What does Abraham mean? It means exalted father. It's like, okay, cool deal. And then he says this specifically about Sarah. Sarah. Chapter 17, verse 15, it says, "'And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, "'you shall no longer call her name Sarai, "'but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, "'and moreover, I will give you a son by her. "'I will bless her, and she shall become nations.'" This is a pivotal statement okay she shall become nations and i love the way he puts this kings of peoples shall come from her what is this this is god inviting sarah into the story this is the same the same declaration that was made of abraham i will make great nations come forth from you he declares the same thing about sarah he says, I will make great nations come from her. Kings of peoples will come from her. What, is, what does Sarah mean? What does Sarah mean? It means princess. So Abraham, he goes home. He's, he's a little pumped. Well, before he goes home, it says this. I love Abraham's reaction to what God said to him. In um, chapter 17, verse 17, it says that Abraham fell on his face. And what? And He laughed. And he said to himself, shall, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I, I would consider this, this laugh like the, uh, the hope-filled wonder. Have you guys ever had that kind of laugh where it's like, I remember my dad, um, when I was 14 years old, he told me, that um, uh, we had this, this old F-150, it was a 1984 F-150, it was all black, we called it Black Beauty, it was a single cab pickup with a short bed and flare side, and the, the flares on this truck were made out of plastic, so black plastic, and the tailgate had the latches that you have to undo on the sides in order to drop the thing down, and it had wood slats in the bed. It was the most beautiful truck in the entire world. Bench seat, no, no tears, full-wheel drive, I mean, it was amazing. And my dad told me when I was 14 years old, he's like, yeah, this will be your truck someday. And there's the hope-filled laugh, like, (laughs) yeah? You know, like, you don't know how to handle what has just been told to you, the most amazing truck that you've ever seen being promised to you. You're not 16 yet, so the promise hasn't been fulfilled, but there's that hope-filled excitement like that. (laughs) So I'm supposed to have a son when I'm 100? and my, my wife is supposed to deliver a son when she's 90? <laughs> okay, how, how does that work? Hope-filled wonder. But then Abraham goes, and he tells his wife. Imagine what that conversation's like. What happened today? Well, I met with the Lord again. Sarah's so like, okay. Uh, what did he say? He's like, well, he gave me a new name. Um, it's Exalted Father. Oh gosh, let's just keep rubbing it in, you know, the exalted father. Yeah, he but but the thing is, he gave you a new name too. What's that? It's princess. It's like, okay, it's fun. Princess, not exalted mother, like we can't do that. But just just princess. He's like, but then he also said something. He said that out of you will come a great nation and kings of peoples come from you, because you will bear a son. I, I, I don't know if you can see, there's physical goosebumps on my arm at the idea of the promise being delivered to Sarah in that moment. And you have to imagine that there would be kind of a sense of, maybe this is too good to be true. Maybe Abraham stayed up a little too late, you know, didn't get enough sleep. And, you know, he feels for me because he loves me and he cares for me. But surely, I don't know. I don't know if that will ever work. Why? Because Sarah was not only barren, but now she is 90 years old. And the Bible says that the way of women has passed from her. So now she's not even, it's not even possible for her to conceive, even if she could. And so what I love so much about this, yes, God allowed Abraham to deliver that news to his wife. How cool is that? That's the best. But then the Lord reiterates that when he visits them himself. And it says in Genesis chapter 18, it says, then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? So they, who is they? Sorry, and provide some context. The Lord shows up, To Abraham's tent, right? Him and some buddies, and they asked him a question, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I surely will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, (laughs) advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so what was her response? So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am wore out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? So the Lord reinst- re- re- reinst- reinstates what he's going to do. Now I'm telling you, this time next year, you will bear a son, your wife will bear a son. And she laughs at the idea and, and it's interesting because you think about maybe the laugh that Sarah had in that moment. I don't know if it was necessarily the same kind of hope-filled anticipation that, 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 that her husband had at that same news. Why? Because, man, she has been through some things, right? Homegirl has experienced some heartache that's, that's been real. And so what's interesting is that there can be an element of doubt mixed in with the faith, Hey, just wanted to interrupt this teaching really quickly. First of all, thanks for listening uh, and tell you about our Fresh Life Leadership College. We are taking applications. You can pursue your degree uh, while you're also simultaneously doing some amazing ministry out here with us and our staff and central team here at Fresh Life Church in Montana. It would be an incredible privilege to have you learning and getting ready for whatever God has next for you. Or if there's someone in your life who who could use a little nudge, like, hey, this could be something for you. Who knows what God could do through you? Uh, You can get more information at freshlife.church on our Leadership College, and we would love to have you out here with us this fall. I think we, as followers of Christ, as followers of God, as the church, can sometimes villainize doubt as, like, your faith isn't good enough, you know? But I would say that doubt is really the springboard for faith. Because without doubt, then you don't really have faith, right? If there was no doubt, then you wouldn't have to put trust in anything, right? It'd just be science. It would just be math. It would just be how things lay out. But the, the doubt is the bedrock for the believing. The, several years ago, we as a church, we, we had embarked on this journey at the end of the year um, called Blood and Thunder, okay? We, we, we give the blood, but God, he's the one who brings the supernatural power, and we were trusting God for what he was going to do next in the context of Fresh Life Church, and so Pastor Levi unveiled all these amazing initiatives and things that we're going to go above and beyond to see how God could, if he would, grow the church, and one of those initiatives was starting a Fresh Life Church campus in the Tetons, and um, And I remember thinking to myself, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense, you know? Like, one, it's a resort destination, and so it's seasonal, like you wouldn't believe. I mean, in in the the Tetons, you have the community that full-on just shuts down for a couple months out of the year. Right, so you're working so hard during the winter. You're working so hard during the summer that that during the swing seasons, like spring and fall, when we're in the weird transition between snow melt and nothing really open, and every, you can't, you're just kind of limited in what you can do. Right, ninety um, percent of the restaurants just close their doors for that entire month, and they just bail. They're like, "We're going to Moab, y'all, or Hawaii, or whatever, Japan," and um, and and they just they just shut down. Right, so your your whole community is just gone. For two months out of the year, then it's really, really expensive, right? That place is crazy as, as far as the livability and all that stuff. And, and it's incredibly transient because people are coming in and going out. And it's just it's just, you look at it and you're like, nope, doesn't make sense. Nope, this is a terrible idea. I I I I I don't I this will never work. This will never work. And yet, with the doubt that I was dealing with personally, with launching this campus, my wife and I had the convic- conviction to sew into the work. So we, we pulled money out of our account and we contributed to launching a campus in the Tetons. That's what we did. And it's like, okay, that's cool. You know, we, we, we gave a little bit. Um, but then at the end of the year, I remember Pastor Levi calling and saying, hey, um, I need you to go to the Tetons and it's like, oh, okay, and it's like, yeah, um, can you just get this thing fired up? Can can you spin it up? And it's like, in the back of my mind, it's like, this is a terrible idea, (laughs) but having the faith to believe that maybe God wants to do something in that community that would be impossible. That does not make sense, and so what did we do? My family and I, we packed our bags, right, just suitcases because we're going to come back. And, um, and we get in our car and we drive out in the worst snowstorm ever. I kid you not. I wish I had a picture. I do have a picture of it. You just can't see it. Um, on our way out of here, we're driving alongside the, the, the Flathead Lake and the weather was so bad, we saw four trucks that had tipped over in the snow and a FedEx truck that had flipped over that was carrying three trailers but it flipped over on our side of the road, meaning it had crossed over and then flipped over on our side of the road. I mean, it was just crazy, right? It's like, oh, nope, nope, this is a sign, right? We are not supposed to go. We should turn around and head on back, right? But the faith to believe, what if? And we go and we start this church and what happens a year and a half into this thing? COVID, that word, right? COVID happens. What a great time to start a church. What a wonderful time to launch a campus in the most difficult place in the entire world, right? And, um, and watching, like, you know, we started strong, but just watching it whittle down to virtually nothing. And the heartache and the devastation and the sacrifice associated with that, the doubt that maybe this is gonna work, and yet believing the whole time but God, what if you sent us here to do this thing? What if there is a group of people that need a family? What if there are people who need to know your power? What what if there are those who have never experienced life and life abundant who need to experience that for the first time? And it brings me such incredible joy to think that right now, on the other side of that camera, on that screen is a theater theater that is filled with people, husbands, wives, students, children, that now have a place to call Fresh Life home. And how beautiful that is. And not a few people. I mean, this theater is packed. And it is amazing. God didn't shame me for my doubt. But he was able to work through it in faith. My faith didn't hinder his ability to deliver on his promises. What was Sarah's response? <laughs> she laughed, right? Are you kidding me? I'm so old. That ain't gonna work. This will never work. And, and then I love this passage in, in, in verse 13. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? okay? here's We're about to read a statement that you need to underline, you need to highlight, you need to star, you need to circle, because this is one of the most provocative statements in all of Scripture. What did the angel of the Lord say? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a, that's a foreshadow of what's to come. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And then, I love this, because it just shows you, it reminds you of the fact that these are just normal people. Like, you can look at Abraham, and you can look at Sarah, and just think like, oh, you're you're in the Old Testament. You've been documented in Hebrews. You have been identified, right? As Pastor Levi said last week, you have been identified as one with great faith. You must be super believers, you know? No, they're normal people. (laughs) What did it say? But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. (laughs) She's a liar, (laughs) y'all. Sarah's a liar, for she was afraid. Man, you mean you got afraid too? You mean you didn't have it all figured out, and you're just trying to do the best you can? Man, she was afraid, and he said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) I know, which in that it can, it seems funny, but at the same time, it's like, I see you. I just want you to know I see you. I care about you. I love you. And I'm going to fulfill my promise in you. What happens? One year later, a new legacy. Genesis chapter 21, it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, and the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. You know what Isaac means? He laughs. You know whose idea that was? That was God's idea. Because when God told Abraham, you know, hey, your your wife is going to bear your son, he fell on his face. What did he do? He laughed. And he's like, how would that be possible? You know? And God says, it's possible. I will do it. And you will call his name. He laughs. So you would remember this moment. And Abraham circumcised Abraham. Uh, his son Isaac, when he was eight days old, and God, as God had commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears this will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Can we just like, I don't know, give it up for the Lord who writes amazing stories? The way that he includes us in that is just absolutely beautiful. What, what's it like to not have the ability to do something, but then to be given the ability to do it? What's it, what's it like? I, I went on this binge this week where um, I jumped on YouTube and I was watching videos of people who were born deaf, but are able, through the miracles of technology, through this implant in your ear that connects to your brain, are given the ability to hear. And these videos are incredible. They're all the same. Every one of them, it's just, you know, the, the, the person sitting in a chair, and they're getting the device all hooked up, and there's another person who's at a computer who controls remotely what's going to happen with the device, and it's like, okay, so I'm going to turn it on now. Are you ready? And they, they click the button. They look over at their loved one. Or their spouse or their sibling or mom or dad or whatever, and they give them the nod, and then you hear them say, Can you hear me? And all of a sudden, this is this whoa, whoa, what was that? And what is what is the initial first reaction every single time to every one of these videos? It's laughter. Just the biggest smile you've ever seen in your life followed by a river of tears, right? Because you have husbands who are hearing their wives' voice for the very first time. And you're, and you're see, having children who've never heard their parents, even infants, like they have like little, little children that they turn it on and you just watch them. They're just doing their thing, looking around as little kids do. And, and it's like, hey buddy. And the biggest smile you've ever seen in your life, right? It's, it's laughter. I can't help but imagine that this moment in Sarah's life when she finally delivered the son, because there's a lot of fear, I'm sure, associated with everything before that moment. But the moment that child comes out, Isaac, he laughs, comes out. I guarantee you, she's, she's like belly laughing, you know, tears, tears, tears. That was hard, giving, giving childbirth. Um, but, but, but look at this, the promise. The promise fulfilled. What's it like? Incomprehensible joy. That's what she was feeling. She's like, God's given me laughter. Everybody else who sees me, he's given them laughter. My son's name is he laughs, you know? And I just love the theme of this joy that that runs through the vein of this entire story. What what God did in Sarah's life in this moment was an invitation to join his story. God is writing the story. He's unveiling it. He's showing us who he is and and what he's doing. And he invites us to be a part of it. He invited Sarah. Why? Because he knows her heart. He knows her desires. He knows what's going on inside of her. And he cares about it. And he cares about it enough to include her into it. I don't think the, the beauty of Sarah's story is so much uh, uh, in the belief that he would do it as it is so much of a belief in who God is. That he is who he says he is. That he is indeed the great I am. Yes, she was the mother of a beautiful lineage, because out of this lineage would come David, would come the line of, of the tribe of Judah, would come the Messiah born. But, and, and, and that is, it's beautiful, the, the lineage that has started, but I love how Paul was wrestling through exactly what was going on in this moment. Paul, speaking to the Romans, he, he says, man, if I could just have my fellow brethren, right, the Jews, my family, if I, if I could give my life for them to understand the weight of what's going on here, I would. And he says this, and I'm gonna read it out of the message translation because I love the way that it's, it's phrased. It says, from the outset, not all Israelites of the flesh were Israelites of the spirit. It wasn't Abraham's sperm that gave the identity here, but God's promise Remember how it was put, your family will be defined by Isaac. That means that the Israelite identity was never racially determined by sexual transmission, but it was God determined by promise. Remember that promise. When I come back next year at this time, Sarah will have a son. Not only was she the mother of a lineage, she was the mother of a legacy, a legacy of what? A faith. a belief. If Abraham is considered the father of faith, I think we could call Sarah the mother of belief. She believed God. What, what is it that, that, that Hebrews 11, it said? It says, by faith, Sarah herself received, what the power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, she considered him faithful who had promised Paul clarifies even further to the Galatians when he says this, speaking about this moment. He says, but now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither what? Jew nor Greek. Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here is a woman who believed God, who trusted that this is the God who fulfills his promise. She was invited into the story and the miracle of this whole thing is the fact that she believed. And the legacy that she created had nothing to do with her progeny, but everything to do, it, it wasn't a physical miracle. Though it was, it was a greater spiritual miracle. The spiritual, what, what, did, what, did, what did God say to Abraham? That you would be a blessing to all, all people. Yes, great nations will come from you. Yes, kings of peoples will come from you, but you will be a blessing to all people. Why? Because of the promise that was secured. It's amazing. I had you guys underline um, in chapter 18, verse 14, uh, the phrase, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I mentioned how it was a foreshadow. A foreshadow of what? Of another conversation it was similar. Here we have a conversation of the angel with the Lord, with a woman who has a barren womb. Well, then you would have in the New Testament, the angel of the Lord having a conversation with a woman in a virgin womb. And he tells her, out of you will come the fulfillment of the promise, the Christ, Jesus Christ the one who I prophesied at the very beginning of time. I promised that, that, that your heel will crush his head. And now all the way over here, he tells Mary something very similar. Hey, out of you will be born the one. And what was her response? She was like, how is that possible? That'll never work. Because I've never seen a man. And what does the angel of the Lord respond? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? It was the promise of the rescue. And Jesus would be born from that virgin womb. And he would would live a perfect life as God Almighty wrapped up in human flesh. And then he would go and he would die the death of a criminal for our sake. Why? So that he could rescue us, so he can bring us close. And if that was the end of the story, it would be a real big bummer. But then three days later, what happened? He rose gloriously from the grave, conquering death, taking away its sting, and has created an opportunity for us to experience life in him. Y'all, the story hasn't changed at all. We are being invited into the story of God. It doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. This is crazy. This is impossible. But you have been invited in. He's writing the same story now, and he wants to include you in it. I remember the moment that I heard this message for the first time. What message? The message of the fact that that God loves me so much that he would send his only son that That whoever believed in him would not die but have everlasting life. And the impact that it had on me. And I thought to myself, I don't have all the answers. I don't have this all figured out. I don't even know what you guys are, I've never heard these songs before, you know? I don't know what these words are. I don't know what this is going on. But there was something in my heart that said, I want that. I want that. I've looked at my life, I looked at the things, the way things have gone, right? And I, at some point, said, That will never work, to do this without you. And so it was at that moment that I decided to give my heart, surrender my life over to God. By how? By just trusting that God is who he said he is, and that he would do what he said he would do, and that I would be able to stand on the faith of a woman like Sarah, believing the promise. If that's you today, and you want to give your heart to God, and you want to step into this promise, and you want to see God move as he invites you into his story, then I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song, and, um, and, and we'll have an opportunity to just kind of respond to this moment. But before that, I just want to, to separate this time for us to, to be able to, for anybody in here who might wanna do that. And, and all I'm gonna do is just lead you in a prayer. And this isn't like magic words. This is just you talking to God. This is you honestly, you know, laid bare before Him. Like, look, I'm I'm like that guy up there. I don't have it figured out, but I'm willing to trust. I'm willing to believe that you are who you said you are and that you'll do what you said you would do. And so if that's you, um, would you pray with me? Let's go ahead and bow our our heads, close our eyes. And um, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. You make this your own. Okay, I'll give you words, but they're not my words, they're your words. I'm just gonna ask the church to join us as we pray alongside with you uh, so that you know that you're not standing in this alone. Would just say, God, I give you my life. I don't have it all figured out. And I don't need to because I trust you. Thank you for inviting me to your story. Help me to follow you. Help me to live for you. I turn from the things that I used to do, the way that I used to live, and I turn toward you. Move in my heart. Move in my life. In Jesus' name I pray.